I want to begin today's message with an illustration that I've used before. So if you've been with me for a long time, you'll recognize it. I've done some fresh research on it. And the reason I want to use this illustration is because today we're looking at John chapter 15, the last two verses, into John 16, 1 through 15. And in this, we're going to be looking at uh, Jesus' really second teaching on the Holy Spirit in his final address, okay? We have uh, Jesus had taught on and really introduced in depth the Holy Spirit in John chapter 14, and he comes back to that in John chapter, at the end of John chapter 15 into John 16. And uh, I just wanted to, to, to start off because I, I can't, I really don't know of a better picture for us of Baptist dysfunctional understanding and relationship with the Spirit of the living God than the one that, that I have shared and will share. This is the story of a man and his wife who in the early to mid-1920s bought a ranch way out in West Texas. Now, if you are familiar with uh, West Texas, if you ever driven out toward El Paso, if we go from here out toward El Paso, you'll go out through uh, Abilene, Sweetwater. Once you get out toward Big Spring, you start getting in a little bit of desolation. Midland, Odessa, uh, travel, uh, uh, Matthew traveled out there this week to help a friend. And you get on out past Midland, Odessa, it gets pretty sparse. Uh, now, the area that I'm talking about is if you travel I-10. You travel I-10, you go out through Sonora. You get out west of Sonora, going out toward Ozona, toward Fort Stockton. There's some towns just north of the, the highway out there, Rankin and, and Iran. Uh, that is an area that there just is not much there. I, I've joked recently, uh, if I hadn't have finally got my yard mowed this weekend, I was going to have to buy some goats. And I could have probably run, you know, eight or ten goats in my backyard. It was so lush. Out there, you'd be lucky if you could run one goat on 10 acres uh, because there's just nothing out there for them to eat. It is a sparse land. Well, Mr. Yates had bought this property uh, in order to raise goats. He bought a ranch out there, and he and his wife were about starved to death. They were barely making ends meet. They weren't able to, to make the interest payments on their mortgage, uh, let alone the tax payments. And, and he had an inkling that there may be some oil on his property, in 1926, he went to one of the large oil companies in Pecos, and the belief was that the, the Pecos River uh, separated a fault and that there was no oil west of the Pecos River. All of the oil was east of the Pecos River, so nobody would be willing to drill out there. Well, he pled with uh, the executive of an oil company that eventually became, it was like the great-grandfather of what's today is Marathon Oil Company, and uh, asked them to come drill an oil well on his property. When they drilled that first well, that first well blew open and began to produce 500 barrels of oil per day. As it began to produce oil, they had no way to transport it. They had no pipelines. They didn't have any tanks big enough to contain the oil. You can imagine they eventually built a 55,000 uh, barrel uh, container uh, tank, but that wasn't enough. That would only hold 11 days worth. So they had to dam the, a, a canyon, a draw, and let that canyon and draw fill up with oil that they eventually used pumps to get the oil back out of that canyon to save most of that crude oil that had just pumped out on top of the ground. Well, they, he reached out. Uh, that, that one oil company was going to need help building pipelines, building uh, infrastructure. They reached out to a couple other companies. By 1929, almost every known U.S. oil company was involved in the Yates oil field, uh, drilling wells. 
the first five wells that they had drilled between 1926 and 1927, by 1929, were producing over 9,000 barrels of oil per day. Just those first five wells in today's dollars were producing today's equivalent of $2 million worth of oil per day. And in 1929, they hit well 30-A that set a world record for oil production as it produced 8,528 barrels of oil per hour. Over 200,000 barrels of oil per day. Once again, they could not contain the oil from the uncontrolled gusher of that well. That was well 30. If you, draw, if you pull up Google Maps and look at Ira Ann, Texas, which Mr. Yates' first name was Ira, his wife's name was Ann, eventually the town out there was named Ira Ann. It's known as the Yates Pool, and at that time was the largest known oil reserve in the world. In fact, the Yates Pool is still producing oil today, 90 years later. I, I want to submit to you a question. Though he was starving trying to raise goats on a dry, desolate, desert land, was Mr. Yates rich or was he dirt poor? I'll suggest that he was filthy rich. He just didn't know it because he had not tapped into the resources that were right under his feet. They were right there at his disposal. He owned it all. He just didn't know it. The Scripture tells us in one of the passages that, that we heard read in worship this morning in Ephesians 1-3, His divine power, I'm sorry, blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. And Ephesians 1 goes on to describe that that blessing is sealed by the promise of the Spirit of the living God. 2 Peter 1.3, Peter tells us his divine power has given us everything necessary for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Did you hear that? Everything that you and I need, everything necessary for life and godliness, everything for a full, meaningful life has been granted to us in Christ through the power and presence of the Spirit of God in our lives. The Holy Spirit is our resource for the Christian life. He's all we need. The Holy Spirit of the living God is God. Oftentimes you'll refer to someone, uh, someone will refer to the Spirit as it. The Spirit is not an it. The Spirit is a he, the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is God himself who has come to dwell among us and within us. And so, as we walk through this text, I want to read with you John 15, verses 26, and we'll read down through the middle of John 16. The Scripture says, when the Counselor comes, let me preface this again real quick. 
This is Jesus' last words. He's walking with the disciples out toward the Garden of Gethsemane where he will be arrested. When you get to John 15, right in the middle of it, he is the first part of it. He's talked to us about our relationship with the Father. He gave us the illustration of the vine and the branches. He's talked to us about how we ought to relate to one another as Christians in love. And he's talked to us about what our relationship with the world's going to look like and how the world's going to hate the disciples and followers of Jesus Christ. And as the world hates us, he gives us this this, uh, picture that he's going to send his counselor, the comforter, to be with us. So that's where we come to in John 15, 26. When the counselor comes, the one I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. You also will testify because you have been with me from the beginning. I've told you these things to keep you from stumbling. They will ban you from the synagogue In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering service to God. They will do these things because they have not known the Father or me. But I have told you these things so that when their time comes, you will remember I told them to you. I didn't tell you these things from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going away to him who sent me, and not one of you asked me where are you going. Yet, because I have spoken these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I am telling you the truth. It is for your benefit that I go away. Because if I didn't go away, the counselor will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. About sin, because they do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I'm going to the Father, and you will no longer see me. And about judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. I still have many things to tell you, but you can't bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears. He will also declare to you what is to come. He will glorify me because he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. Everything the Father has is mine. This is why I told you that he takes from what is mine and will declare it to you." The Holy Spirit, Jesus tells us here, is going to be the disciples' resource for living from here on out. He said, up until this point, I've been with you. You've depended upon me. You've listened to me. You've watched me. You've trusted in me. But I'm about to leave. And once I leave, I'm going to send, my Father is going to send his Spirit to be with you. In John chapter 14, when Jesus introduced the the Holy Spirit, he said that the Spirit of God is going to come to be with you, and he will be in you. He said, I'm not going to leave you alone. He's not like you're going to be orphans. When I leave, I'm going to send my Spirit to be with you and to be in you. The Holy Spirit of the living God is the resource that the Father will send for Christians to live the life that God's called us to live. We need no other resource outside of his presence. And I want you to understand that the Holy Spirit is not a thing. It's not some type of ethereal power out there, some power source that we tap into. The Holy Spirit is God. So what we're talking about is a relationship with the living God as the, his presence rests with us and in us. The, the Spirit of the living God comes from the Father, 
The Holy Spirit is a gift to every born-again believer, everybody who's put their faith in Christ. We saw it there in Ephesians 1. When you get down to verses 12, 13, 14, the Holy Spirit is the seal of that promise. It is His Spirit whom the God, has, God has sent to empower us to be who God has called us to be. And He tells us here that the Holy Spirit is going to bring truth. So in the first two verses there, the Spirit is from the Father. He proceeds from the Father, and Jesus calls Him the Spirit of truth. The Holy Spirit is going to shine the light of truth into our lives. We're going to know right from wrong because of what the Spirit points us to. And the last thing that I want you to see here as a resource, the Holy Spirit is always, always, always going to point back to Jesus. The Holy Spirit will testify of me, Jesus says at the end of verse 26. God will never through some spirit, point you to another God. Jesus is the one who's going to be honored. Jesus is the one who's going to be lifted up. And if, the, if, if a spirit is speaking to you and a spirit is not pointing you to Jesus, then that spirit is not of God. That spirit is of the enemy. The Holy Spirit will, also, uh, will always point us back to Jesus. In fact, Jesus goes on to say further down, he's going to glorify me. Because he takes from what I say and declares it back to you. The Holy Spirit is going to lift me up. The Holy Spirit's going to glorify me because we're all one. We've walked through this over the last several weeks when we tried to understand the Trinity as we walked through John. The Spirit, the Father, and Jesus are all one. So Jesus said in John 14, I'm going to leave, but I'm not going to leave. I'm going to go away, but my, I'm going to send my Spirit to be with you. I'm going to dwell with you through my Spirit, the, the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so the, the Holy Spirit is the resource that you and I need to live a full Christian life. Once again, what was it, 2 Peter 1.3 says? His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us. Everything necessary for life and godliness. If you want to do a Greek study on that word, everything, you can dig into it for hours. You can look at the, uh, do a, a diachronic study of it. Look at that, that word across time. You can do a synchronic study of that, that Greek word about what that word means in the time that it was spoken. And in every case, you know what that word's going to mean? Everything. Everything. Everything that you need for life and godliness is granted through the Spirit of the living God. Now, that does not mean that you're not going to have trouble in life. It doesn't mean that he's going to remove all the obstacles. And in fact, when we move down to the very next section, the Holy Spirit is going to be the one who enables us to face life. I originally titled this to face life's challenges, but ultimately the Holy Spirit is the one who's going to enable us to face life in the way God intended us to face life. There will be challenges. When, when Kevin was preaching, when we first entered into these, this final uh, goodbye teaching of Jesus and, uh, in John chapter 14, 1, he did a great job pointing out that in, in 14, 1, Jesus tells his disciples, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Jesus didn't say you're not going to have any trouble. He said, don't let your hearts be troubled. 
You can have a peace. You can have a hope, even when the world's falling apart around you, even when you're, you're facing obstacles. And so, those are the first words of Jesus when he enters into this farewell discourse. His last words as he's leaving the farewell discourse before he steps in the garden and begins to pray are John 16, 33. When he says to the disciples, he looks them in the eye and says, in this world you will have trouble. But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. The promise is not that the Holy Spirit's going to remove the obstacles. The Holy Spirit's going to make you rich. The Holy Spirit's going to give you health where you'll never die or get sick. None of those are promised here. The promise is that the Spirit of the living God will enable you to face the challenges. So when you walk through life, walking in a relationship with the Holy Spirit, that's, who's pointing back to God's Word, you'll be empowered and you'll be enabled to face the challenge. That's why Jesus says, I tell you these things to keep you from stumbling. There's going to be obstacles. There's going to be trouble. You're going to have problems come up. In fact, guys, let me tell you, Jesus tells these 11, there's going to come a time pretty quick when people want to kill you. And in fact, I wonder if, if Jesus had Saul on his mind even when he spoke these words. Because he says that there, there's even going to be people who think that by killing you, they're doing service to God. And so when Stephen, the first martyr of the church, was stoned to death, and the, the Saul, who eventually became the apostle Paul, was standing there holding the coats of those who were stoning Stephen, I wonder if he was on Jesus' mind. There's going to be people out there who think that it's, it's their, their service, their worship, to stone you, to kill you. You're going to have trouble, and I'm telling you this ahead of time so that you're aware. And so, there's three principles I want you to grab here real quick. The first one is this. You need to be prepared and be walking with Christ before trouble comes. Because what's going to happen, especially those of you that know me and you're part of this church body, if you're not walking with the Lord on your own, when trouble comes, you're going to panic. One of the first things you may do is call your pastor. I've gotten those calls, and it's okay. But if you're walking in a relationship with the Holy Spirit and trouble comes, the first thing you're going to do is hit your knees. You're going to turn to Him. You're not going to turn to me first. You're going to turn to Christ first. Then you may reach out for prayer and help and insurance and encouragement, but you're going to be walking in a relationship with the living God. When Katie was born, I was the pastor. Many of you, who, if you don't know the story of our daughter, she was born with a lot of birth defects, our first daughter. And uh, it was a surprise to Susan and I. We were, we were young. We were uh, 21 and 22 years old when Katie was born. And uh, I remember in the first few days of her life, I, I was the pastor. I was pastor in a church of, of, at Locker, Texas. In fact, uh, the week before Katie was born, she was born on a Saturday morning, the week before she was born, that Sunday morning, I preached on a, a, a message that said, you're going to have a hard time in life, and God's going to purify your faith by taking you through the trials, and you're going to have to learn to walk by, by grace through faith. And so, as I had been walking with the Lord, spending time in God's Word, preaching God's Word, teaching God's Word, He had prepared me for what was going to come six days later that I had no idea was coming. And so, Though I didn't have a pastor at the time, because I was the pastor, the Lord had prepared me. And so that when, when two days later, when it looked like she wasn't going to live through the night, 
And I cried out to God, God, show me something from your word to help me, to carry me. He pointed me straight to Job chapter 1, where the scripture says that after Job had lost everything, he shaved his head, he tore his robe, he threw ashes on himself, and he fell down and he worshiped God, and he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will return there. Blessed be the name of the Lord. God pointed me straight back to his word to encourage me, to strengthen me, and to provide a passage that I could walk with through the next 15 years until Katie took her last breath on this earth, walking by grace through faith. But it didn't just happen when things got bad, see? Jesus said, I'm telling you now, prepare yourself. Get ready. Church, as your pastor, I'm telling you now, if you're not in the middle of a difficult trial, one's coming. Because that's life. We, we, we go through struggles in life. That's the nature of living in a world that's been damaged by sin. Now, we go through struggles knowing that there's a hope on the other side of it, but we can walk through this life with our head held high. But, but let me tell you, just as Jesus did, be prepared. Start walking with him now. Spend time in his word now so that when the troubles come, you're prepared for it. So be prepared. Remember Jesus' words. Jesus tells the disciples, remember that I told you these things. In verse 4, I've told you these things so that when, there, when that time comes, when their time comes, you will remember that I told them to you. I didn't tell them to you from the beginning. I didn't show you everything when we first started walking together. But as we walked together, I showed you what you needed to know when you need to know it. You know what? I know a whole lot more about life in Christ and life in my walk with him now than I did 10 years ago, 20 years ago, and 30 years ago. And the Lord will show us what we need to know when we need to know it. Now, I've had people, and, and, and you'll see this all the time. You'll look at somebody and go, how in the world can they walk through that, go through that struggle, and, and still have faith, still walk with the Lord? Now, I'm, I'm here to tell you from my own personal experience, it's, the reason that you don't understand is because you're not in their shoes. If you're in their shoes, the Lord's going to give you the grace and the strength and the faith and the power to, to meet their circumstances. God doesn't give me the, the wisdom and the strength to meet your circumstances. He gives me the wisdom and the strength to meet the ones that are coming in my life. So if you will walk with the Lord, he will tell you what you need to know when you need to know it. He will open his, his, himself up to you and he'll show you. And so Jesus says, remember what I've told you. Turn to his word and then trust in the empowering of his Holy Spirit. He's sending us his spirit so that we can be filled by his power. In verse 7, nevertheless, I'm telling you the truth. It's for your benefit that I go away, because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come. Well, that's kind of crazy. He's talking to disciples who have committed their lives to follow him, and he, he tells them, look, it's good for you that I'm going to die, that I'm going to leave. You're going to be better off without me. And we're, like, we're thinking, how in the world are they going to be better off without Jesus? Well, they're going to be better off because he's going to send his spirit. He is going to come back in the full power and presence of his spirit. The same spirit that's going to raise him from the dead is going to come back and he's going to be with them and be in them. Now, why is that better? Well, for one, the Holy Spirit can do something that Jesus could not do. Jesus was at one place at one time when he was constrained by human flesh. Philippians 2 says that Jesus Jesus entered into the flesh. He was God that entered into the flesh of a human body. And as he walked as a human, he was at one place at one time. The Spirit of God is not constrained by place. 
The Spirit of God can be everywhere at once. The Spirit of God won't just be with you. The Holy Spirit will also be in you. And that's another advantage. And so we could go on and on, but we have an advantage over every other believer of every time period. If you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, you have the, the resource of God's Spirit dwelling with you and in you everywhere you go. So if I was to summarize, God has given us three keys here to face life challenges, to, to live out the, the life in a full, meaningful way that he's called us to. First, be ready. Be mentally prepared. Prepare for the trouble before it comes. Don't wait for hard times to start praying. Don't wait for hard times to start searching God's Word. Walk with Him now. Spend time in His Word now so that when trouble comes or opportunity comes, you're prepared. God, God's going to open the door and give you opportunity to share the gospel with someone. But if you're not spending time in His Word, you're not going to be prepared to do it. So you'll be, you'll be prepared. You'll be ready for whatever it is God brings your way if you're walking with him. So be prepared by spending time with him in the first place. Second, remember Jesus' words. And third, trust the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. And then the Holy Spirit is not only working in the life of the believer, the Holy Spirit is working in the lives of the lost world. Hear this. He says when he comes in verse 8, he's going to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. The Holy, it is the Holy Spirit's job to convict a lost and dying world of their sin. It's not your job or my job to convict the world of their sin. In fact, we really can't do it because we can't touch the innermost parts of someone's being. But the Spirit of the living God can in every encounter that you have with someone who, who, is, who comes to faith in Christ, it is going to be the work of the Holy Spirit who convicts them of sin, who points them to what's right, and who convinces them of judgment. It's not our job. See, sometimes we think that we as Christians ought to beat people over the head and convince them that they're sinners. You don't have to. If, if you're having to do that, if, if you're having to try to convince somebody of their sin, then the Holy Spirit is not truly at work in their life. Because if the Spirit is at work, they know. Our world knows right now that what it's doing is wrong. It, when, in almost every case, in fact, in every case, when somebody comes to me and, and I begin to talk to them about, the, about God's Word, if they're not already convinced that they're a sinner, all I have to do is point to God's Word. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Let God's Word do the convicting. You don't have to. In fact, you can't. One of the problems that we have in evangelism right now is, is we think that it's our job to convict, convince, and judge. It's simply not. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. If we will walk in a relationship with the Holy Spirit, the, the Lord will do what it is He says He'll do right here. His Spirit will present opportunity, will prepare us for opportunity, and His Spirit will convict, convince, and judge. Now submit Exhibit A and Josh Gonzalez, and his in-laws are here with us. And so Josh, when he came to talk to me a couple weeks ago, he knew that he was living in sin, and he wanted to talk to me about it. 
And I didn't have to convince him or convict him. We just talked about the Word, didn't we, Matthew? We just talked about what God was doing. And, and I didn't even get out of sinner's prayer and ask him to pray that. We let the Lord, the Holy Spirit, do his work until Josh knew that it was time for him to submit his life to the Lord. The Holy Spirit will do what he's, what he's called to do. Now, we have to be prepared with God's Word. I point to God's Word. We can talk about how you, how you can come to faith in Christ. Even had the, the, the tool available, it had, had one of those little tabbed Bibles that, I, that I, we put in Josh's hand that he could read through himself. In fact, he went back after we talked about it, he went back, sat in his car and read through it and got down to the prayer at the end and God convicted him. So, ultimately, the Holy Spirit will do what he promises he'll do if we trust him. That's why, folks, it is crucial that we begin every evangelism effort in prayer, in prayer. Because the Spirit of God will do what only the Spirit of God can do. You and I cannot convict the world of sin, but the Spirit of God can and will. I believe with all of my heart that that's why, though we had zero, zero professions of faith for a year through the pandemic, we had zero baptisms for a year. We begin to pray for the lost on Tuesday nights at 6.30 in February. And now we've had 10 profess Christ as Savior and seven baptisms already here. I believe it's because the Holy Spirit is, is moving in response to our prayer. And we're seeing and we're aware of the opportunities that are coming our way because we're praying for the lost. Finally, verses 12 through 15, the Holy Spirit will guide us into truth. Let's hear these verses again. I still have many things to tell you, but you can't bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he'll guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears. He will also declare to you what is to come. He will glorify me because he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Everything the Father has is mine. That is what I told you, that he takes from what is mine and declares it to you. I want you to, to see one big overarching principle here. The Holy Spirit is not going to bring new truth. Now, there's two different ends of this spectrum that I see, and I've I, I run into both of them as pastor here, even, even within this church or, or people that have visited at some point or another. One end of the spectrum is this. God spoke through his word. He doesn't speak anymore. That's it. You read the Bible, do what it says, he doesn't speak anymore. The other end of this spectrum is far out there on what, what generally lives in the health and wealth gospel world where a, a, a new, a, 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 an apostle who has any credibility or a preacher who has any credibility in the health and wealth gospel world is somebody who has received new revelation from God. It's, it's referred to as the new apostolic movement or the new revelation movement. And, and you'll, you'll hear these guys talk about the new revelation that they've received from God. The Holy Spirit is not going to bring new revelation above and beyond what God's Word says. So, preacher, what the heck are you talking about? Where, where are we to live and what is the Holy Spirit? What is this that Jesus says that the Spirit of truth is going to come and he's going to guide you in all truth? Exactly that. When the, the Holy Spirit is moving in our church, in our lives, the Holy Spirit is going to guide us by taking the truth of God's Word and applying it to our lives for us to live today. 
He's not going to be giving us new truth that nobody's ever heard of ever before since the beginning of, of time or since the beginning of the church. He's not going to be bringing new revelation, but he's going to move in your life to apply the Word of God to your life so that you can accomplish his purpose every single day. The Holy Spirit will speak to you from inside. He will lead you. He will guide you. But it will always be in accordance with God's Word. And it's always going to honor and glorify Jesus. It's always going to lift him up. He will glorify me in verse 14, he says, because he'll take what is mine and declare it to you. Let me give you a quick example. When I was about uh, seven, 18 years old, I was, it was going to be my last year at youth camp. And I had surrendered to the ministry about two years before when I was 16. And so I had this fire in my belly. I was excited about going to youth camp. I was going to, I just felt like somehow God was going to use me. I should have been one of the more mature youth at that time. I'm supposed to be a leader, right? Well, I'm still kind of an introvert, and I still am. At a, you know, I'll get up here and preach, but at a party, I don't want to be glad handing and shaking hands. I want to be over there in my corner kind of thing. But here I go to youth camp, and I get off our church bus, and our, we were sharing a cabin with another church from the other side of the county, and I get on, and I start greeting people and just saying hi to the other guys and just trying to make friends and, and just let Jesus use me in some way. Night number two, as we are finishing up the worship service, we're in the chapel, and I, I felt the Lord speak to me. It wasn't an audible voice, but I sensed God telling me, Soon as this invitation's over, you get up and walk out the back. Okay, I, 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 I don't. Please don't think I'm a weirdo. Some of y'all haven't heard me preach before, and you're gonna think I'm one of those guys that are way out there. Go back and listen to some other sermons. I'm not that crazy. But here I am, 18 years. I walk out the back of the auditorium. No joke. I felt the Lord tell me, "Turn left, take three steps." I turned left, took three steps. I looked up. And, okay, Lord, where do I go now? There's a light. It, back at, at about a 45-degree angle, a light out in the middle of the courtyard. I just felt the Spirit tell me to go to that light. So I went to that light. As I got to that light, a young man from our cabin came running over to me and says, Dennis, Dennis, is that you? Yes. And he said, I said, what's going on? And I don't remember his name. He said, I'm not saved, and I need, I need you to tell me about how I can come to faith in Christ. And we sat down right there under that light, and I shared the gospel with him. He got down and prayed to receive Christ as his Savior. The Holy Spirit provided guidance in accordance with God's Word. God's Word was already doing a work in my life. I already knew how to, how to point somebody to, to Scripture so that they could be saved. But the Holy Spirit took that and applied it in a very real way. Now, that's the only time that's ever happened to me, okay? So it's not like it happens all the time. But one of the things that I have seen happen regularly in my life and ministry when I'm walking with the Lord is God does unusual things that cannot be explained in human terms. A few weeks ago, Julie was talking to me, our, our church secretary, about why she loves this church so much. And she said, you know, one of the reasons is because I get to hear y'all talk about how God's done these things that that, that you just can't explain. And she said, I, I, she'd been a church secretary at other places. She said, I just haven't seen that before. And she pointed back, especially to the time when, uh, y'all remember a couple years ago when, when I called Kevin on Thursday night and I said, Kevin, I'm not supposed to preach Sunday and I don't know why. I just don't feel like I'm supposed to be in the pulpit. I'd never done that in 30 years of ministry. Still haven't since then. You know, if I'm sick or I'm going to be out of town, or that's one thing. But I'm like, I, I don't know why. The Lord just told me I'm not supposed to be in the pulpit. I didn't know that Sunday morning I was going to be in a hospital bed having my appendix taken out. But the Spirit of God knew that. 
And if we weren't walking with the Spirit and listening to the Spirit, we would have missed out on an opportunity to see God just move in a way that he revealed himself. The Spirit of God has been, he has been given to us to empower us and to lead us and to guide us into all truth for the fulfillment of his kingdom purposes. Not for your riches, not for my riches, not for my health, not for my comfort, not for my wealth, but for his kingdom's glory. And if we'll be obedient and walk in a relationship with his spirit, he will guide us into all truth, reminding us of all the things that Jesus has taught us, always glorifying Christ and always pointing to the Father. 